0: weekend uh, really was an an incredible weekend here at our church. You'd like to think, uh, and I do think, that anytime the church gathers, it's a a special and wonderful time, but you know, sometimes you look back on uh, the move of God and what he does, and and you say, only God, and uh, and, and, and it's a defining moment what the Lord does. And so last weekend, we uh, took a look at this topic of godliness, and then we decided to end the service by calling people forward who want to make a decision. To finally go from religion which i didn't define positively uh, to relationship with god through jesus christ and we had people come forward who were ready to do that for the very first time uh, through a Uh, trust and saving faith in christ and then we had those who were re-upping if you will recommitting their lives because they had slipped back into religion and and between our 11 services here and at cactus mountain valley chapel and venue we had literally hundreds of people uh, come forward and i I got to interact with many of them yep you can clap at that and uh I got to clap or I got to clap. I got to talk with many of them and uh, and hear their stories and again, you know it, numbers are one thing, but when you hear what God is doing in the hearts and minds of people, uh, the people who came forward it, it was really some profound stuff going on and and really what 's happening this spring at our church there 's a reason i 'm telling you all this is because I think God has us in a real preparation mode for um, what's coming down the pike for our church. And what I mean by that is that we're completing our compelled by grace uh, vision this month. I'll talk more about that in just a second. We're going to put an end to that, if you will. And, And then the question becomes what's next. I mean, we've, we've spent $23 million of the Lord's money in this campus and starting another campus and doing world missions and things like that. We've grown significantly as a church. There's an amazing feel around here. I ran into somebody this week at Starbucks, and he said to me, you know, I, I, I came to your church, and just the, the feel, the vibe uh, younger person. It was really, really awesome. And he said, I, I just, I, I love what I felt. And I thought that's good cause I, I, I'd call that what the Holy spirit is moving here and, and people feel that. So the question becomes what's next. And then we had people recommit or commit their lives to Christ last week. Now what's next? And so what we're planning for, and we need to start praying for this now is that this fall, we're going to get a lot more intentional in our outreach. And some of you go, gosh, aren't we already that way? Like, aren't are we already, you know, uh, uh, focusing on on the lost and all that? Well, yes and no. I mean, we have, but 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 we need to even turn up the heat a bit more. I, I keep telling you guys, we've done the math. Only 17 percent, 83 percent of Scottsdale doesn't go to church. Only 17 percent do and so i'm telling you when you drove to church here today (laughs) you drove by a lot of people who were sitting in front of starbucks playing at their tennis club doing a round of golf uh sleeping in and 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 they're not going to church and and that doesn't mean that they're not saved but i think it's a safe guess that many of them are not and and they need jesus and and they need us And, and so next fall i'm not gonna tell you all about it now but next fall we're gonna turn up the heat on intentional outreach to our community Uh, We still have a lot of empty seats here. Maybe not in this service right now, uh, but we do the math. We can accommodate uh, upwards of 9,000 people now every weekend in three services. Did you know that as a result? Yeah, you can clap at that again. You're in a clappy mood and uh, 9,000 people in three services. That's what our capacity is. And we're running in our high season about 6,000, which means that we have room for a third more people or 50% more people, no matter how you look at it. And so we have an incredible opportunity before us. Now, uh, more on that later. I need you to start praying about that now. Uh, it was mentioned here and at the other campuses and venues that next week we're gonna put a, 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 say goodbye to the Compelled by Grace journey. And that's a good thing. It's been four years, for some of you, four long years. And, uh, and, and that we've been talking about Compelled by Grace, gearing up, ramping up, and God has blessed it greatly. Our goal was to raise $23 million, just about 21 million has been given, uh, but as mentioned earlier, we don't go into debt on those things, but we have some, if you will, some liabilities toward the future. And uh, so we want to free us up from all that, however. And so next week, we're going to take one final offering at the end of the service, kind of like our elder fund offering, but one final offering and simply see what God does. And if he provides, uh, you know, the full amount, then all praise to him. If he doesn't, all praise to him. But either way, and this has been my decision, and the elders have affirmed this, we're putting this now behind us. And, and if you have a commitment that you've made to finish strong or compelled by grace that will go beyond next weekend, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord to finish a previous commitment you made. But for all of us, we're just going to say, okay, one last shot, and then we're going we're gonna to move on from that. And, uh, and I think it's going to be an exciting weekend next week. And all we simply ask you to do, because we don't badger you guys for money at all, all we're asking you to do is pray. And, uh, and, and if God puts on your heart to do something, then all glory to him. And uh, if not, that's okay too, uh, find another church. So I'm gonna, I'm, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You know, I, later on this afternoon, I'll think about, I'll do an audit of my, of my behavior and worship and I'll cringe at some of the things that I say and just go, I'm an idiot. So uh, keeps me humble. I'm excited about where we're going in the Word today, I really am, and, uh, and and it's going to be a profound time. So let's bow and pray, and then we're going to dive right in. God, I do thank you for each person here at our church. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit today, Lord, about uh, brotherly kindness, brotherly love, and what that looks like and means. And God, it makes me appreciate uh, each person here that calls this church home, each person that calls Jesus Savior. And so, Father, I pray that as we open up your book now, which we know is perfect and true in all that it says, and at times even challenging, and we're gonna find that today, God, would you speak to our hearts and our minds? May there not be one person here, or at Mountain Valley, at Cactus, at Venue, at Chapel, or watching online, in which the truthfulness and the profundity of your word escapes. God, may we all soak it in now, and our commitment back will be to live it. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and we say together, amen. Amen. So um, I I said something a few years ago to you guys, it didn't go over very well, and I'm gonna say it again. But this time, I'm gonna say it with just a a little bit more explanation, because the last time I said this, I meant it kind of humorously, but like happens so often. Uh, Some of you didn't laugh. In fact, one person that weekend got up and left, right when I said it, and an elder followed him out to the parking lot and said, can I help you? And he said, I've never been so offended in my life. And the elder told me later that he let the guy go because he figured if that offended him, it was only going to get worse knowing me. And so, <laughs> yeah, let the guy go. But, but here's what I said a few years ago, and I, I want us to unpack it a little bit because it's toward our topic today. I said to you a few years ago that if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't be friends with most of you. Uh, that's what I said a few years ago. And again, some of you are laughing, most of you aren't. And, and, and so... <laughs> I want to explain what I meant by that because here's what I don't mean by that. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. I do. It doesn't mean that I don't like you as I get to know you. I do. It doesn't mean that I'm not willing to be friends with each and every one of you. I am. It means what it says it means. And that's that if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus has entered my life and changed me so dramatically and for many of you has entered your life and changed you dramatically and given us a bond as a result of that if it wasn't for that there's not the strong likelihood i would be friends with most of you and i don't mean that as an insult the reason i say that is because when i do an audit of the first 17 or 18 years of my life where i didn't know jesus and had this list of friends and then I do an audit of the last 36 years of my life where I do know Jesus and have this list of friends, Uh, there's a different list there. In other words, when I got saved, I started hanging around people that had a like-mindedness, a shared faith, a common faith in the same Jesus, and as you're going to see today, this is what we're going to talk about, a friendship resulted from that. And so I'm not saying that I, I, there aren't certain things about you aside from Jesus that I, don't, that I wouldn't like. Of course there are. That's not my point. I'm simply saying that from a bird's eye perspective, it strikes me as kind of amazing, if not even odd, that if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't hang around with most of you. And I only know that is because before I knew Jesus, I didn't hang around with you. I thought you were weird I thought you were strange I thought you were quite frankly crazy I met born-again people before I knew Christ and I didn't want to hang around them so maybe it's more on me than it is you but here's the positive of all of it and this is really what I was trying to get at to me it's kind of endearing when I say that because the good news is we do share Jesus amen the good news is is that you do know him i know him and it changes everything and there's a level of relationality that i now want and can have with you that goes deeper than any other relationality i have with those who don't know the lord and so it really is a positive thing at the end of the day and it leads us to our main point today and it's a very simple and life-giving main point but quite frankly i'm going to warn you it's hard for some of us to swallow. And here's what it is. And that is that whether we like it or not, God calls us to be friends, that's our operative word today, with each other. And I'm speaking to Christians now. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ here today or at one of our campuses and venues watching online, whether you like it or not, God calls us to be friends with each other as Christians. And the reason that this is so revolutionary is because some of us here today have believed over the years that though we are commanded to love each other as believers, that we don't necessarily have to like each other. How many times have you heard a Christian say that? I've heard Christians say that all the time. Somebody in the church bothers them, usually me, and they say something like, well, you know, I gotta love the guy, but I don't have to like him. Which is kind of insinuating that I have to put up with them in church, but I don't have to be their friend necessarily outside of that. And I'm here today to try to debunk that. And the reason is, is because I think the word of God says the opposite. Uh, the theme verse for this series that we're in is Second Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 7. If you've been with us in this series, it lays out eight key things that you and I must have in our lives in order to claim the promise that comes right after this. And the promise is powerful, and that is that if we have these eight things, we will not fall or fail in our walk with God. I'm interested in that. How about you? God basically just made a deal with me. He said, if these eight things are operative in your spiritual life, then the winds of life, the tornadoes of life, the hurricanes of life, the earthquakes of life will not shake down the building of your faith. And I go, whoa, what are those eight things? And so we've been looking at those in this series, and we've looked at six of the eight so far, and let's review them leading up to the one today. It's found in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Here are seven of the eight things. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement to your faith Virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self control and self control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. Word number six and godliness with brotherly affection. That's number seven. Uh, brotherly affection. It's the next quality that you and I need to have in order to have the kind of faith in God that can withstand just about anything. And so the question becomes, what precisely is brotherly affection, right? Kind of sounds like a biblical phrase, doesn't it? I mean, how many times have you used that word in your daily Monday through Saturday language, not very often brotherly affection, or as the King James version would say brotherly kindness, what is the Bible getting at with this? it's actually a fascinating word in the original greek that the new testament was written in it's one word translated here into two words but it's one word and i'm going to share the word with you today because it's a word that you all have heard of it's a very fascinating word and it's the greek word philadelphia some of you didn't know that philadelphia was a greek word but it is And Philadelphia, all of you know what Philadelphia means, because if you go to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're going to see this sign and it says Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love. Everybody knows that in America. And that's actually the core key definition of the Greek word Philadelphia. It literally means love of one's brother or sister brotherly love. And what's most fascinating about this word again in the greek is it's actually what i call a combo word in other words this word does not appear outside of the new testament it doesn't appear in the greek version of the old testament or in any of the church fathers It actually appears twice in the church fathers but but very very rarely it doesn't appear much in classical greek and the reason is is because what the writers of the new testament did now watch this is that they took two very common greek words from their day the greek word phylos or philia which simply means friend it's a kind of love that is a friendship kind of love and then they combined it with the greek word adelphos which simply means brother and so now you can see what it's getting at here is that they took two very common greek words that appear hundreds of times in the greek phylos or philia which means friend and then adelphos which means brother and so it means a friendship love a, a a love that's a friend type of love for your brother and obviously it doesn't mean a physical brother here, because that would then be very inclusive. It wouldn't include that to all that many people. No, it means a spiritual brother or sister, someone who is now related to you in the family of God because they've accepted Christ and now have become a child of God. See where God is going with this? And you now are to call them brother or sister because you're part of the family of God. And God even ups the ante more here and now says you are to love them as a brother or sister with a phylos kind of love which is translated friend and so what's being laid out here in this simple word Philadelphia and there's no way around it gang is that you and I are called to view each other through the lens of friendship And see other brothers and sisters as Christ as though they're now part of your family, they're part of your community, everything has changed. And if they claim Jesus, then God calls you to draw close and to be their friend. That's why I say whether we like it or not, God calls us to be friends with each other. You know, one of my heroes here is a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you have heard of Bonhoeffer. Eric Metaxas did a great bio on him a few years back, and many people read read it. Uh, Bonhoeffer was a very famous German theologian and author who resisted the Nazis during World War II. And he was eventually placed in a concentration camp for resisting the Nazis, and he died in a concentration camp shortly before the end of the war. And one of the radical things that... Bonhoeffer did before he was arrested by the Nazis was he, he started an underground seminary in 1937 in Germany. Hitler by that time had already outlawed seminaries, and, and so Bonhoeffer said, I don't care because this is God's work. So he started this underground seminary in 1937 in the town of Finkenwald, and the only problem was space. They had a very small plot of land, only one building to meet in, and there were 30 burgeoning pastors that needed to be trained at this seminary. And so Bonhoeffer writes in his book, Life Together, how they had to share one room, 30 pastors did, to eat in, sleep in, study in, do all their work in for over a year before the Nazis shut it down. I want you to let that sink in a moment. Some of you don't like sitting next to somebody at a movie theater. Some of you don't like sitting next to somebody for an hour at Bible study. Imagine being put in a room for a year with 30 other pastors that are young and excited and ready to argue theologically and all these things and you're in one room for that long. Something's going to happen either positively or negatively. And Bonhoeffer wrote an entire book about this experience, entitled Life Together. And at one point, look at what he writes. This is pretty cool stuff. He says, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God and Christ in which we may participate. Whoa. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying many people see Christian brotherhood or this uh, idea of Philadelphia as something that, you know, we need to strive toward or, or, or maybe, you know, work toward or what have you, and we can either do it or not do it. And he's saying, no, it's actually a reality. It, it exists because God says it exists. But when when the Bible says that you're a new creation in Christ, there's certain realities now that God has created in you. One of them is that you now have Philadelphia and this opportunity for Philadelphia of brotherly kindness, brotherly love, friendship, created by God in Christ. And the only thing he asks you to do, and we talked about this in the first week of this series, is to cooperate, And so for Bonhoeffer, back 60, 70 years ago, this was a choice for him. It was a reality that he chose to embrace. And my guess is, is that he didn't have a natural affinity with these guys, and he didn't always enjoy the close proximity, and that his patience was tried on certain occasions, but he understood God's call. It was a call to Philadelphia, and that's what made the difference, and he chose to do it to enter into that reality. And it's right when you and I understand this, now watch this guys, that the reality of Philadelphia becomes so radical. Because as I talked I talked to you earlier about this idea of friend, that we need to be friends with each other, I, I know how some of you thought right away, you thought, really, really? I, I mean, I need to be friends with all the Christians that I know? And the reason that you were tempted to respond in that cynical, dig your heels in kind of way is because you and I have been taught in the world and culture today to only consider somebody, a friend whom we have affinity with. Isn't that true? In other words, think of all your friends right now that you might know and hang out with. I'll bet dimes to dollars it's because of this thing called affinity. Affinity is simply shared likes, common interests, or for some of us even common enemies, shared dislikes. We build friendships around. And so it goes like this, that they like cars, so do I, so we're friends. They like sports, so do I, we're friends. They like to go off-roading in a rugged 4x4, so do I, we're friends. They like to play golf and join the country club that I'm in, we're friends. They vote in a certain partisan way that fits my worldview, so do I, we're friends. You starting to get the picture? I mean, the list is endless of things that you and I, in our culture today, build friendships around and do an audit. Almost every one of them are affinity types of things. It's how we develop friendships. But the problem comes in is that if you don't have an affinity with somebody, then they are not your, say the word with me, friend. See, that's the problem and it works fine in culture. You know, you meet somebody at work or somebody at school or somebody in your neighborhood, you got a three minute conversation with them and you can tell in three minutes whether you're gonna be a friend with this guy or not, right? And That's okay, that's the way friendship works in our culture. It's just that in the kingdom of God, it's different. And here's what God does, he's kind of tricky. God doesn't take affinity out of the equation. Did you know that? He doesn't. God believes in affinity. He believes in common likes. He believes in sharing things together. He simply takes that concept and says to you and me, you now have a built-in affinity with any and all other believers in Jesus. You have a common bond based on a similar love of the same Savior. And because of that affinity, you're now to be their friend. And some of you are going, whoa, 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 God can't do that. Well, yes, he can. He's God. Of course he can do that. He he says, I honor the affinity thing. It's just that I'm not shallow enough to build affinity around golf or sports or cars or those types of cultural things. No, I build my affinity around who is saved in my son. I build my affinity around who is in the kingdom of God and a child of mine. And for every child of mine, he says, it's Philadelphia time. It's time for you to love one another and even be friends with one another and it's a game changer if there ever was one that maybe this will help a true story that just happened to me recently i received an email about a month ago from an old friend that i hadn't heard from in years his name is bill he's from my hometown of chagrin falls ohio i told you guys a lot about chagrin bill and i met in third grade and we went to elementary school together middle school together, high school together, and we were in the same town of 5,000 people all during our childhood and teen years, and we knew who each other were. But growing up, we were never really friends in the true sense of the word, and really for good reason. My friend Bill was very good at playing football basketball and baseball and I was always too small for these sports so I ran cross-country and then I wrestled in the winter and then I ran track so we were on a completely different sports level he was always chasing girls he was the homecoming king in our high school and a real Casanova and I was always very shy with girls I know but I was and uh, and I was a gearhead I got my first car at 15 and a half and I never looked back So he had friends who shared his love of the ball and chasing girls, and I had friends who liked to run fast and drive fast. And then in late high school and early college, something happened that would change everything. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And ironically, through the same guy, there was a Youth for Christ staff worker in our town, Bill also accepted the Lord uh, during late high school. And there weren't too many born again Christians in our high school. There certainly weren't too many in our town. We were not the majority. And as a result of that, see where I'm going with this? Bill and I got much closer. We would eventually in college, even though we were separate colleges, go to conferences together with Campus Crusade for Christ. But when we were home in the summer, we joined the same small evangelical church outside of town and were discipled by the pastor. We led a Bible study together in the summers in which we uh, led other young men to the Lord and encouraged them in their walk with the Lord. And eventually he and I would start to jog together. And then this was only back in the day I could do this. We'd go to DQ and get a blizzard after jogging together because weight wasn't a concern back then. Uh, we would actually vacation together. He, he was even integral in getting me to ask Kim out. Kim was from my hometown and he was the one who picked up the phone one day and said, I want you to call Kim and ask her out on a date. And I said, I'm not going to do it. And he handed the phone. He'd already dialed the number and I was talking to Kim. <laughs> I was really shy and I'd eventually marry Kim. And uh, bill was the best man in our wedding. It was my first experience with Philadelphia. A guy that I had no affinity with from a cultural societal level, but because of the Lord, we developed a very, very close friendship. Uh, But then we started to struggle. As I went to seminary and he went into the marketplace after college, we drifted. And part of the reason we drifted is that we drove each other nuts a lot. Uh, we're both very stubborn strong will men, and he would end up doing christian life now now tell me does it happen to you he ended up doing christian life very differently from how i did but we didn't plan it this way at all Uh, but but he he got involved after college in a more narrow cloistered church community and i interned at the famous willow creek community church And you can't get much more polar than that. you got a cloistered community over here, and then Willow is the largest megachurch in the world at that time, or in the country at that time. And so we had very different church experiences. He would eventually homeschool his five children. I would put mine in public school, and then a short stint in private school for a couple of them when I moved here. He developed very different theological views on things like infant baptism, uh, the role of Christian missions, the precise nature of the church, what we call ecclesiology, and even where and how Christian unity is to be found. We didn't agree on those things. And over the years, we would talk, especially back in the 90s, and our talk would just start to spar a lot. And there were times that he felt very judged by me, and there were times that I felt judged by him. And as a result of that, almost 20 years ago, we stopped writing, stopped calling, stopped emailing, and we both moved on. It just happens. And this brings me to the email (laughs) that I got from him four weeks ago. Let me read it for you. He says, hey, Jamie, an email from an old friend. Hope you are well. It's been a long, long time. I hear good things about you from time to time from friends. So, my son and I are planning a father-son trip to see the Indians in Goodyear, and I hope to worship at your church on Sunday, March 12th, which was last weekend. He said, I don't want to disrupt your life at all while you're there, but it would be nice to come down and say hello to you after one of the services and to wish you well, Bill. Now, now let me ask you guys a question. I'm in my home office when I got this about a month ago, and, and, and if you had all this history, with somebody, and then you got an email like this, how would it make you feel? I I gotta tell you, I sat there at my desk and I felt two things, and I'm such a typical man because the first thing that I felt was just profound sadness. I just thought, this is so sad, this is like pathetic. And then because I'm a a man, the next feeling I had was I got mad, right? Because men go from sadness to anger, from joy to anger, from anything to anger very quickly. (laughs) And so I, I sat there in my desk and I just got mad. And, and if Kim would have come in at that point, she'd say, what are you mad at? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I don't like this and I'm mad. And so I, I found myself just getting mad and, and, and I wrote on the paper. I just wrote enough, enough. Cause I sat there and said, this is just dumb. I'm going to be with an eternity with this guy. He was the best man in my wedding. He, he, he was a dear friend from way back. And it's gotten to the point where he's thinking of coming down to say hi after traveling 2,200 miles to see the Indians play, which is pathetic there too. And so I, am <laughs> <laughs> not a big sports fan of that. So I, 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 I'm going to read you the email I sent him. I, I just sent it right away, which might've been my mistake. I didn't even say dear Bill. Here's what I said. I said, it seems kind of strange that the best man in my wedding, the man who brought me back to the Lord, the man who I traveled to Kansas City with in 1983, Chicago with in 1982, the man whom I helped recover from toxic spirituality in the nineties, that this man should come and only say hi to me after a service. If that's all you want, I will take what I can get. However, I would be open for for a meal that weekend, and we do have two guest rooms now. Since the girls and Paul have moved out. Open invite. Let me know. I'm around that week and that weekend. It would be good to see an old friend. Your friend always, Jamie. About five well, you guys are in a clappy mood, aren't you? All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I love it. About five hours later, I'm just giving you the timeline here. He uh he sent this response. He said, let me find it here, number three, uh, he said, Thanks for your note, Jamie. You have lots of people coming at you, I know that. Of course, I would love to spend some time visiting. I appreciate the open offer. And then he said, I'll stay Friday night, and I'll stay Saturday night, and I'll go to church with you on Sunday. He said, it seems so long. Your note prompted me to listen to a couple of Keith Green songs today. Anybody remember Keith Green? Wow, he made me feel so old when he said that. He said, those stir certain affections in my heart to God. And then he said, I can't wait to see you. I miss you, Bill. It was a touching note that he sent me, but I got to tell you, when I shared with Kim that Bill and his son were going to stay with us for 48 hours, (laughs) given our history, she said she's a little nervous about that. And so was I, and then I cringed that Tuesday when I realized at our planning meeting that we're doing a baby dedication last Sunday. Now, for those of you who know anything about theology, I mentioned earlier that my friend uh, would, would uh, uh, protect or, or argue for infant baptism, and we don't baptize infants here, and that was kind of a sore spot when we would argue, and I thought, wouldn't you know, the Sunday's here. <laughs> We're going to stand up here and do baby dedications. And to make a very long story short, have you ever looked back on a situation in your life and said, only God? where well, you just look back and you go, C.S. Lewis would say you were surprised by joy and had nothing to do with you. It was just God. I got to tell you, we had a phenomenal 48 hours. As my dad would say, we walked sensitively around the issues. I made sure I didn't bring up ecclesiology and missiology and, 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 and even infant baptism and stuff like that. But we sat on my back porch we had a couple of very rich and meaningful discussions we reminisced about old times we talked about the families now and where he's going to church and how that's going and we had a phenomenal time and get this in the service he didn't flinch at our baby dedication and though his son is fully saved i mean he's raised him in a wonderful christian home his son who's going to the military felt so moved in our service that he came down to recommit his life to the lord uh, during our service at that time. Yeah, you can clap at that one. And it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal weekend. In fact, this is kind of funny. At the end of our time on, on, on Tuesday when he was leaving the area, he called me and he said, you know, I was talking to my wife and he said that we're, we now love it here. and We love seeing you guys that, that we're now going to come back every winter for a month. <laughs> and he knew what I was thinking because he said... He said, I won't stay with you for the whole month. And I said, good. And uh, what's that old saying, you know, that, that, that good fences build good neighbors, you know, that type of thing. And, and so, but, but it was just such a touching time. And, and it reminded me again of the power of Philadelphia. But here's what I want you guys to see, because this is going to be very important for some of you here today. It was a choice that I made. I, I get emails all the time. He's our ninth visitor this winter from out of town. Uh, Since I moved here to Scottsdale, everybody wants to be my friend again from the old days. And they come to this area and they, hey, we're coming through. And I love it. I love it. He's our ninth visitor. Many times when people email me and say, I'm coming in town. Can I come and see you after a service? You know what my answer is? Yes, I'd love to see you after a service. Here's where I'll be and da, 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 da. Uh, But I didn't choose to do that with him. Why? Because this is the guy that I've had Philadelphia with, a friend from years ago, and more importantly, what I'm learning is, is that those are things worth fighting for. He's a believer in Jesus, so am I. And God brought us together, and there has to be a reason for that. I love how Martin Luther King once put it when he was speaking at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta shortly before his death. I'm not gonna put this on the monitor, I just want you to listen to this, like it was being spoken years ago. He said this during the sermon. He said, if any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. If you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them to not talk too long. Every now and then, I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them to not mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That is not important. Tell them to not mention that I have three or 400 other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. He says, I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. You see, that's Philadelphia. Just tell them that somebody tried to love somebody. And you see, I think heaven is going to reveal that it's this kind of activity. That is so much more important than all of your accomplishments, all of your promotions, all of your awards, all of your hobbies, all the things that you and I run into that are good and fine on their own, but at the end of the day, none of those are really central to kingdom stuff. What's central to kingdom stuff is how we relate to each other, and the great challenge is, is that God asks us to view each other, see each other, and call each other as friends. And it's so important to him that it makes God's top eight list. And again, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You think, well, Jamie, okay, here's the deal. It's easy for you. I mean, you do this all the time. You're neck deep, deep in church people and that Bill story was a great story, but you know, he's kind of an easy guy to reconnect with because you had all this history. And some of you are tempted to say, you know what, Jamie, I have some people in my life that are Christians that the second you say be a friend to them, I think there's just no way you don't understand how hard it is and here would be my answer to you today and let's just talk frankly about this um maybe I don't understand but here's the problem you have with that kind of thinking it ain't me saying it it's God I, I tried every way I could as I studied the word Philadelphia today to see it another way I really did I thought maybe phylos doesn't mean friend. In every situation it appears in, dozens of times in the New Testament, hundreds of times in the history of Greek, it means friend. Love someone as a friend. That's what philus means. And then I thought, well, maybe Adelphos doesn't mean like brother or sister. Or what It means it in every single situation. So the five times that the word Philadelphia is used in the New Testament, it only appears five times in every situation, it is saying that we need to be friends. And it's always written to believers. And it's always saying the same thing, be friends with each other. Paul, the apostle literally pleads with us to stop the disunity, stop the bickering and be friends. And though this is for another sermon, somebody came up to me after last night and said, define friend. <laughs> and, and I knew exactly what she was getting at, and, and, and without her having to tell me her whole story, she is in the middle of a very, very brutal divorce, and, and, and it's waging war on her family, and her, her husband is a Christian, and, and legitimately is, and she is too, and she's thinking there is no possible way I can be this guy's friend. Now, let's just talk about something for a second here. That is a unique situation. I mean, it's common today, but, but I, I think when I challenge you guys to be friends with everybody, do understand that there are some friendships in which you're going to set serious boundaries with, and that's legitimate. In other words, if there is a history where there's a marriage or abuse or something like that, God is not saying call them today and say let's have lunch and be best friends. That's not what he's saying but that still doesn't take you off the hook, even with that relationship in showing brotherly kindness to them. It just means it might be a different kind of friendship. But here's what I need you to see. That's the outlier. That, that, that's, that's not the norm. But when I say to you the main point that you and I have to be friends with each other, I'm talking about the normal everyday relationships that you have, now here it is, and you dig your heels in, because here's the problem that we have, and I love this one, and we're gonna wrap up with this. We've got about six, seven minutes left. Um, the big dilemma that you and I have is that uh, we have to contend with what I call the 99-1 dilemma in our lives. And the 99-1 dilemma is simply this. out of a hundred Christians that you know when you hear me say that you need to apply Philadelphia to them I'm promising you're thinking this way you're saying well with 99 of them piece of cake no problem I can do it I mean it won't be natural but there's enough in them to like even aside from Jesus and they're not crazy and I can do that see where I'm going with this but then there's that say the word with me one and that one you're thinking of right now and you're saying, there is no way. The guy is nuts. The, the girl is crazy. And, and, and it's all I can do just to see him in church or see him at work. And, and, I, and yes, Jamie, I'll admit it, they are saved. and I'm gonna see him in heaven. I just don't want to see him a lot before then. That's what you're saying. <laughs> and we all think like this and we all have people like this. The reason I know it is because I got lots of them in this church. I got lots of people like this. There's a lot of ones in my life and I've had them for years and here's where it becomes problematic. If it was just one person out of 99, maybe we could get away with it. But tell me if this math or logic isn't right. My guess is for most of you who've been saved for a long time, or at least for a while, there's at least two or 300 Christians, you know, right? And if the, and if the rule of 99-1 applies, then that means you have at least two to three people in your life that you have a lot of trouble being a friend with, and that quite frankly, you snub them on a regular basis. Maybe not overtly, but you see them coming, you walk away. They're in a conversation with you, you're trying to get out of it as quick as you can. We call that a snub. And you snub them on a regular basis, just about two or three, you're not doing too bad. If this was baseball, like you'd be Babe Ruth, because you're batting really well, but it's not baseball, it's the kingdom of God, and you really struggle with this. Now here's where it becomes problematic, (laughs) and this is gonna blow your mind. Uh, We estimate about 10,000 people come to Scottsdale Bible on a regular basis. Our attendance this weekend will be around 5,800 to 6,000 adults that will come any given weekend, especially in our high season. And and, and so about 10,000 people in this area and then snowbirds consider this a home and come here on a regular basis. Now, if it is true that each of us have two or three people in our lives, then that means at any given time, there are 20,000 to 30,000 individual snubs coming out of Scottsdale Bible Church at any one time. Does that blow you away? I, I, I mean, maybe it doesn't, maybe you're going, I don't care about that, I'm just one guy. I'm a pastor, I gotta live with that if all of us just snub two or three people and say I'm not having Philadelphia with them I'm not being their friend that might be fine in your individual life but you're a part of a community of faith amen you're a part of the kingdom of God and just out of our church alone if we don't get a handle on that that's 20 to 30 thousand snubs going on at any one time and tell me if our onlooking community doesn't see that they do And I know that because they tell me about it. People say to me, well, let me tell you what one of your church people did to me. And I go, whoa, okay, I I have no problem believing that. (laughs) They're capable of that. And again, I don't judge you guys for it, I don't fault you for it. I do it. There are times that I do it, but then I read about Philadelphia and, and in a conviction oriented way, I say, golly, it's gotta stop. I can't be doing that. It doesn't help when I'm falling into that. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with those two, one, two or three people in our lives? What Carl George years ago, remember this Dale, called a extra grace required person. We all have them in our lives. What do you do with them? We're going to go just a couple minutes over um, because this is really good stuff. I want to share with you, wrap up by sharing with you four verses. And ironically, some of you are going to love this. It's the other four verses that use the word Philadelphia because, because it's almost like they thought of this question. So very quickly, look at the recipe that God gives on how to love the one. First, look at 1 Thessalonians 4.9. It says, now concerning brotherly love, Philadelphia, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And the question you should be asking right now is that Link's brotherly love and basically says, hey, you don't have to tell me anything more about this because you already know how to do it. You've been taught by God how to do it. You should be asking, how have I been taught by God to do this? Well, one, he's told it to you in the Bible. But I think that means even more than that. And now watch this. This is powerful. What, what it really means is that God has loved you this way. And because God has loved you this way, then you already know how to love others this way Uh, to not put too fine a point on it this is going to blow some of you away (laughs) in God's eyes you're the one in God's eyes you are that one that is very hard to love and you're saying how do you know that you're saying I'm not like the other I'm saying you're not see God is perfect God is holy and your sin, the Bible says, I don't mean to depress you, but your sin is a stench in his nostrils, the Bible says. That because of your sin, he can't have fellowship with you in a very real way. It's so funny, you see the one this way, I don't want Him. God says, you're the one! You're the one that I had trouble having fellowship with because of your sin. But you know what I decided to do? I decided to send you Jesus. And I decided for him to take His your sin upon himself And then I decided to fill you with my Holy Spirit and woo you, call you into my kingdom and give you the gift of faith so you can trust him. And then I decided to tell my son to call you friend so that you can be a friend of God for the very rest of your life and finally see me in eternity. Don't miss this, guys. He says you're the one. And because of that, he says you've been taught by God how to do this. And so the way this works, and again, I don't mean to put guilt on you, but I do this all the time, the way it works is, is that when I'm having trouble loving somebody, somebody's in my face and they're not being nice, and, and they're picking on me about something really petty in the church, and, and yet I know they're saved and all this, I, I just think to myself, I know I do this to God. I know I do this to God. I know there's times where God looks at me and says, boy, are you hard to deal with <laughs> I've been telling you about this sin for years. I've been asking you to change for years. I put my Holy spirit in your life for years and you're still messing up. And the beautiful thing is God says, but I still call you friend. And so how in the world can I not do that to you Gil or you Richard or any of us or you Mark that even when you guys grade on me and you guys don't, I'm talking about other people, even when you guys grade <laughs> on me, that I say your friend. Some of you notice this, I sign every letter to every Christian whether it's an email or a personal letter with the same salutation I say your friend and pastor Jamie And the reason I do that because that's very meaningful to me if you're a believer in Christ I promise you I will work hard to be a good pastor and a friend to you because it's Philadelphia time and Jesus did it for me and Vera I do that for you you're a friend uh, second thing, some of you are going, well, that's not going to work for me. Okay, well, let's try something else here. Look at 1 Peter 1.22. Because if you don't like the first one, you're going to hate the second one. We're going to wrap this up soon. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere, say the words with me, brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from the pure. Art. So here it is, Philadelphia again, brotherly love. And you know what it's linking it to here? <laughs> obedience. It's saying you have the ability to obey God. That even when you don't feel like doing it, just do it. That's what obedience is. Obedience is when I say, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna obey God, I don't wanna do that. And God says, my Holy Spirit lives in you, do it. So there's times, honestly, where people are grating on me and I don't feel like being that person. I wanna love them, but, but, but I don't go with my feelings. That would be silly and immature. So I look them in the eye, And I behaviorally act toward them in a Jesus-like way, even if I don't always feel that. I'm not faking it. I'm faking it till I make it. And part of making it (laughs) is obeying God and just doing it. Somebody's saying, well, that doesn't work for me. Okay, well, let's try a third thing. Look at the third usage of of brotherly love. Hebrews 1. let brotherly love, now here's the operative word, continue. I was actually enamored with that word this week. I I looked it up in the Greek and it means to remain with, to reside with, to live with. It's actually a very passive word, not an action word. It's a laid back word. It's a non-threatening word and it's simply saying to go with the flow It's, It's simply picturing you in the ring with another person and that person's driving you nuts. Maybe you're against the rope. And instead of getting out of the ring, you know what you do? You let brotherly love continue. And you simply say, I'm not going anywhere. Don't know if I can do it. Don't know if I'm gonna win this battle. Don't know if I can really even love you and be your friend, but I'm gonna stay in the ring because I think God might do something. Let brotherly love continue. Maybe that's all that God is asking for some of you. I shared this story before, I'm not gonna share it at all length right now, but there was somebody in my life that for 30 years, I had trouble really loving and being friends with, but it was somebody very close to our family. And so for 25 years, I'm not proud of this, for 25 years I did snubbing. I was very passive aggressive about it. I would just disappear when this person would come visit or I'd always be busy or what have you, but I was, I was good at learning to snub this person and it wasn't godly at all. And about five or six years ago, God totally convicted my heart and changed me in order to not only love, but be a friend of this person that's so close to our family. But, but one of the reasons God could do that is I never got out of the ring. <laughs> is that I let brotherly love continue, I stayed put. And maybe that's what God is asking some of you. And then lastly, and with this we're done, Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly brotherly affection. I love this, outdo one another in showing honor. I'm not even sure what this means. I didn't look up the word outdo this week, but I I like that word, it's a competitive word. So maybe what God is saying to some of you that are competitive is that when you think about not being a friend of another Christian, maybe dig deep and say, you know what? That person doesn't have a lot of friends and there's a good reason why, because they're that way. But I'm gonna lead the pack here. I'm gonna demonstrate leadership, but I'm gonna outdo every other Christian around me and I'm gonna love that person. Maybe that's helpful for you. Uh, Are you starting to see that you got this 99-1 dilemma? We all have people in our lives that are really hard to apply this to. Think of Jesus and his putting up with the 1% in you. Just do it, obey him. Go with the flow, stay in the ring, continue, or maybe be a leader of the pack, outdo. I gotta tell you, one or more of these is bound to do the trick, and who knows? Maybe we can get our percentage down and see God use us in a much more profound way as a church. Why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time that we've had today, even though we went a little bit over, and I thank you, God, for your grace. I pray, God, that as we uh, each apply this to our lives, because we all have people in our lives that are difficult to love, that God, you would help us by the power of your spirit to, to, to embrace this reality of Philadelphia. And God, as that happens, as we become a kind, friendly group of people, would you use that to draw others to the Savior, I pray in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.